0: Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. All right. Thank you for joining us today, Tim. Uh, Today, we're joined by Tim Kubiak. Uh, He is uh, currently recently taken on a CEO role and uh, also a a successful sales coach and has his hands in a lot of other pies. But uh, you know, Tim, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Sure. So Tim Kubiak and my kind of running joke is I'm a technology geek and a bit of a nerd and I've made my living in some segment of technology for the last 30 years. So everything from small company that's been acquired to uh, you know Fortune 500 kind of thing and everything literally in between.
0: What uh which role has been the most intriguing to you over the over the course of that career?
1: You, you know, the one I referenced the most and there are two. Um, I did a global job and we kind of talked about it as we were chatting before we hit record for about a decade. And learning to do business in other countries and cultures and dealing with the legalities and import export and the currency and consumer rights in different countries was a fascinating education. And then I took on another role that was two years post acquisition. Um it was a European based company and it was a US expansion and I built out a team. So it was a well-funded startup about 250 million a year in the US when I stepped in and it was fascinating and I got a 10 year education in 16 months.
0: Those are cool when you get those opportunities, right? so hard to pass up and so much perspective uh, they provide you as you go through your career. Um, What was your favorite place to to go to in the global role?
1: So in the global role, I, 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 I laugh, I used the Marriott at Heathrow like my own house for a couple of weeks, a quarter. So I would go into the Netherlands, I would go into Germany. Um, you know, one of my favorite cities, ironically, is Berlin. We didn't do a ton of business there, but I did get to. I had the luxury of being able to spend weekends in different countries. Just like we might go to a different state for a long weekend. So I would end business at noon in whatever country I was in. And I would do all the tourist things over the weekend, the walking tours and the locals things and, you know, eat in the local restaurants and get that. So Berlin is one of my favorites. I can move through London better than my own city that I live in. Right. So I guess that really is the answer right there.
0: Very cool. Never made it up to Berlin, but uh, we did get to be in Munich for Oktoberfest and uh, down on the Black Forest. So we had a good time
1: in Germany when we were there, but a fascinating place. It is, and it changes so much. Every city has such a different feel in my mind, right? You go to Dusseldorf or, you know, you go to Munich or you go to Frankfurt and they all feel different.
0: Yeah, and it's those, uh, that local nuance, right? In terms of the culture and the perspective uh for a long time i was gearing my career to be a ceo of a multinational uh speaking several languages lived uh i lived in peru brazil spain china uh all to prepare myself for kind of the role that you had um yeah. and uh you know I, that part just fascinated me uh i loved the ability to uh you know see different things from different perspectives and gain insight uh from being in those cities
1: yeah it, yeah, it, in- I think that's something that if you haven't lived abroad, you really can't appreciate, right? You can't learn it in school. You can't even learn it with friends from different cultures, quite the same way as being there.
0: Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. It's uh one of the things I strongly encourage my siblings was to spend time abroad. Uh, my wife did it as well. And, you know, we'll encourage our kids to do it uh, when they get there as well. So, um, so one of the key kind of question that we like to ask on on this podcast is, kind of help us understand what your strategic framework is as you're thinking about, you know, where you place your um, in extra profitability, right? So as you went through your early career, you likely hit a point where you no longer had to worry about uh, putting food on the table, taking care of yourself. You've got, you know, extra dollars that you're trying to figure out what to do with. Right, uh, entrepreneurs are often pouring it back into the company. Other people are looking for, you know, a bigger house or, uh, you know, investment strategies or real estate. Kind of, how did you think about, you know, how you allocated your money early on as you were in this journey?
1: So the first thing I'll say is I have a bit of a German car thing. So that was the bad habit I had to break, and my wife was great at that. So we got sensible with our car investments because nobody cared if I showed up in a Mercedes or a Toyota Camry. But man, when the maintenance bill came up, I heard about it. So, you know, one of the things we did is we settled in on a lifestyle and we do travel more as we've aged, right? So we've been smart and done things there that have enabled us to do that. But we haven't upgraded other parts of our life. If you look, I drive a 2007 car, it's 2021. Can I go buy another car? Sure. You know, will I someday? Yeah, maybe. Right, when it breaks down and it does, Um, you know, we've invested in maintaining the things we have. We haven't upgraded our homes. I'm not two Cadillacs in a boat, obviously kind of guy. Um, And that's enabled me to do other things. Travel's a passion, right? And, And obviously traveling internationally for work gave me a lot of opportunities, but it's also given me the chance to make bets on companies that I'm part of, to be part of other companies that I would have never gotten the opportunity to and frankly, leverage and grow there. And, and look, it's, it's like the stock market, right? Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. I have had things that I thought were good go bust. And that's part of the risk. But that's the trade-off that I've taken.
0: Can you share maybe one of the stories of uh, you know those investments or those companies that you invested in kind of early on and kind of how you thought about that? And uh, what enabled you to be able to take that, that chance or that risk at that point in your career?
1: so you know one was post acquisition out of my first kind of big job so i I literally came into the tech industry as a sales assistant working in the warehouse for what was then a 20 million dollar a year turnover company Um, about six years later we got bought out i was in my late 20s and i had an 80 million dollar in total p l control for my division to grow timing a lot of things were in the right space at the right time but it was a great part and i had a great set of mentors early the uh, jack who owned the company tony who was my original boss who i replaced you know a year after i got there and jumped a bunch of people you know and being able to take the risk into my first real full entrepreneurial venture came when jack had sold the company i had a i had a stay package i lived through the stay package you'll see this is my history by the way somebody gets bought i get a stay package i go take a risk because I you know if you're smart you have a bit of a cushion in that case I went and took a risk with two people that had been previously customers as a startup and it didn't work out. It was a lesson in partnership, so I had to go back and end up going a turnaround, which was a whole nother experience as part of that, but it really led to me understanding business from an owner's perspective, you know. And yes, I burnt cash. And at one point I was a million two in the hold of creditors, right? And had to do the collections and do all of those things you have to do when you own a business that just get taken care of when you work for somebody else. You see it on the sheet, but it's not you making the call. It's not your personal guarantee that's assuring everything, right?
0: For sure. It's very different. And a lot of the listeners obviously um, own their own businesses and have gone through that or are going through that, right? In terms of the... Uh, the pressures, right? And the fact that you have so many multiple jobs, right? From janitor to CEO and everything in between, uh, you got to get it covered uh, and find a way to make sure the business, you know, succeeds. But um, one of the things you had mentioned, you said, if you're smart, you have a cushion. What does that mean to you? And, you know, how do you define a cushion? And how did you get to the point where you're obviously smart? So I assume you had a cushion. How did you get your cushion?
1: You know, part of it came from, and it wasn't easy early, right? When you're young and maybe your family's younger, you're not earning at the same rate. It, it's starting to put things away. But if you start from day one, and I, my daughters are young adults. One is 27, one is 22. And the message has been, I don't care if it's 5%, right out of the gate, put money away, right? And yeah, it, it's there when you need it, right? Not just for retirement, but beyond that. and literally. As my business grows today, one of the conversations I sit down with my financial planner in COVID, it's not in person, which I miss. But, you know, we sit down and we look and we say, okay, if I hit this marker, this much goes to you, this much goes in a safety net, which hopefully grows all the time. Right. Because occasionally you got to touch it. Roofs come off the house, air conditioners die. Right. If you own the business, you need up your insurance or you need to invest in growth. You have it there and you're not cash strapped to do it. And that's really kind of how you build it. And it's deciding where you spend the money.
0: Is there a certain percentage that you use as a guidepost? Like what have you gotten to in your career and, or where you are today, right? In terms of how much is that, you know, safety net? Is it a percentage of profits? Is it just a kind of feel as you go?
1: Twenty so percent. It's 20% off the top, right? So if I make a hundred bucks, 20 bucks goes somewhere right and whether you do it pre-tax or post-tax is you and your financial planner right that's a whole nother conversation but you have to leverage that right um you know i've made decisions in projects and in careers based on 401k matches right which sounds crazy but at one point and when you're an executive you make pretty good money right so if they're going to match you up to 10 percent of your annual earnings not counting even of bonuses and stuff like that, but you target OTE, you have to factor what that's worth to you when you decide to take a role. Now, I know that's not a business ownership decision, but it's certainly a decision you make for your own financial futures.
0: That 20%, uh, we had another guest who said, you know, I always pay myself first, right? Richest man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you subscribe to that or is it uh, kind of depend on uh, how things are going?
1: so it's 20 percent off the top right in look when you're young and it's tight or you're looking to expand you have to say if i put 10 into the business and 10 away for myself does that 10 give me 30 right and it comes down to measuring roi for yourself and that investment i've had one ea in my life right i won't spend the money when i was given a budget to hire an ea in a big corporate role i hired a financial analyst for my business unit. So that kind of tells you where my priorities are. Watch the pennies.
0: That makes sense. So the, you had talked about the experience where uh, you were fully levered as you went in one of your first entrepreneurial ventures. Um, has this mindset of taking 20% of the top evolved over time? Or was that there you know, when you were uh, you know, in a difficult position uh, with your, with leverage and
1: creditors as well? So at that point, I wasn't making a profit, right? I was operating a business to pay off the debt and not have to file, right? So I underwent a partner act. So the truth of the story is I had two partners. One partner entered the partnership and the agreements without disclosing he was in the middle of a divorce. Cash flow problem, issue one, right? He unfortunately also, we uncovered about six months in, had a substance problem so we got him out of the business and then we spent about eight months or so getting everything back into place paying off everything that had run up all of the things that had leaked out the back door and i was a coo he was a ceo right um we we basically said you have no shares you walk away we don't sue you right we cleaned this up we never talked to you again it was not a pleasant end um But we got out. We paid everybody off every penny. Uh, The remaining partner actually stayed in the business for another 18 months, but it was undercapitalized at that point and the industry was shifting. And frankly, I chose to go do the turnaround because I needed the capital to play with. Would you do it again? In ways I have, right? I would do it on different terms, right? I'm much more selective of who my partners are. I am much more critical of how we spend money inside of a business and i have a much bigger view so in the role i just took on there was a in it's a $15,000 discrepancy from a erp system change in the book of accounts now this is a multi million dollar business right EBITDA is very healthy yet i asked probably 10 questions would this stand up do due diligence what does this do to our tax liability? Do we have sales tax liability? How can we defend it? If questioned, did it, did, it, did, it, did it down the line that I wouldn't have known to ask without all the bad experiences over 15 grand, right? A lot of people would have just rubber stamped it. So,
0: oh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm definitely of the belief that past experiences are very formative as we move forward. And, uh, a lot of growing pains, uh, you know, that come out of the failures probably more so than the successes. Right. And so um, it's tough when you're in them and you're living them and the stress uh, that comes along with it. But uh, you know, I think the perspective down the ride uh, road, puts you in a good perspective uh, position. Right. So um, you had mentioned, you're much more diligent about selecting partners. What's some of your top criteria, you know, as you're going into a new venture that you wanna make sure uh, you validate uh, with the partners you're getting into bed with?
1: You know, so some of it is even supply partners, right? What are their financials like? How how are they behaving with their other people on terms? And whether I'm selling it out or I'm buying it in, right? You know, what kind of leverage am I gonna get? So if I get the windfall deal, Right. Even if I have capital in the bank, are they going to bleed me dry? Can I can I get prepayment terms and can I leverage them to my advantage? Can I stretch them and have them squeeze their suppliers for extra points? Those are all things I look at from a business-to-business relationship. From an individual relationship, I actually kind of look at track history. And I hate to say it, but if I see that you've moved every two or three years, now if you've moved up, if you've moved in subsidiaries, acquisitions don't count, but I've been a sales director at seven places in six years. Man, you gotta ask a question, right? Man, why are you doing this? Or if you're, frankly, and I'm in my fifties, if you're late in the game and you've never run a startup, why are you doing it now? Fashion project, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. maybe not the experience yeah. set, right? Um, to make yeah.
0: it a great partner, but that makes sense. Um, so as you fast forward to where you're at now, um would you have done anything differently as you were kind of coming up in terms of where you were investing or how you allocated and you know how has your mindset shifted uh from where you are today from kind of when you were coming through at the beginning
1: so the first thing i would do differently is i would button up my own contract better right as an employee frankly as a business owner with my own people so that expectation if there's an exit You know exactly what you're getting and they know exactly what they're getting um that is probably the biggest lesson i learned early because my division sold off and was what earned all the profit but my cut was the same as the people that were in the much smaller division when you're 25 or 26 you don't know that um you know the other thing i look at now that i do much differently is i look at how i structure the business And somebody gave me the piece of advice probably 20 years ago now is no matter what business you're in, it will look different in seven years. Don't think it's going to be the same. So you have to think about what you're going to wind down and what you're going to grow into. Doesn't mean you change businesses, right? I'm in technology. Technology shifts every day. But at the end of the day, I solve business problems with technology. You know, if you're a roofer or if you're on concrete, the, the way you pour the technology to do it may change. What your customers are expecting look at how houses have grown look at a house from the 60s versus a house you know well pre-covid right and we're still in good economic times they're still building mcmansions but we had the 2008 blip um you know look at how that's changed and look at how you have the staff and the technology with that and figure out what you're going to exit.
0: you had mentioned the contract piece right as you were going through and what you would take so if you're in a employer right because that's probably where most of our listeners are um generally your default is hey i'm going to hire people right they're either going to be commissioned or salaried um how do you recommend or coach that they kind of broach that topic to someone who might not be asking
1: so so the first thing is set the expectations right how many times has the business owner walked in and said my sales team can't sell right they're not going x or y The truth is sometimes they can't sell. The truth is sometimes the expectation isn't there. I know I've come in with a number of clients and they're like, these guys aren't hitting the number. They don't work like I work, you know, whatever the issue is, you can't expect them to. So you need to be much more prescriptive. So what's, and it's not about pure metrics. Metrics are for Google and Facebook, but there has to be activity, right? What's the activity you expect? Have you told them who to target and have you worked them through the process? Now, if you've done that and you've buttoned that up from a sales perspective, it's fine. Do the same thing on your finance side, right? You know, what's your inventory turns if you're carrying inventory? You know, can you run closer to just-in-time without compromising customer quality? Set that up. And I honestly believe everybody in the business should have a piece of the action based on the success of their area, right?
0: So when you say piece of the action, are we talking a... uh, profit incentive plan or profit sharing plan? Are we talking ownership stake in the company for future sale? Like, how do you think about that?
1: So executives, if you are really going, to if you own a small business and you're truly going to build it with the idea of exiting, and this happens a lot in tech, right? You know, yeah, I, people show up every day on my door and say, I'm going to do this and sell in 36 months. No, you're not. You don't have any customers, but if you do, here's what you need to look at. And by the way, here's the bill, um, right? But, if you're looking at making strategic investments and there's somebody that has a skill, right? If you're in the drywall business and you have the last guy in the market that can do the old school plaster, then, you know, you have to judge that value. Do you want to cut him into ownership? Probably not. That's a nightmare. Don't mind, right? Do you want to cut him in for, you know, booking more business or expanding jobs as a success fee, even if he's not in sales, if he's a craftsman? Yeah, maybe, right? Not only is it more work, finance, if they collect your money sooner, you know, give them a kicker. By the way, it doesn't have to be all the money in the world. Not everybody's completely coin operated, even though I pretend they are, right? Uh, It can be recognition. It can be time off. It could be a dinner, you know, with the staff. It could be a gift card for them and their family. But you have to have a marker in there. So when they hit and exceed what the expectation of the job is, they get a little extra reward. It doesn't have to kill the bottom line.
0: Good. Uh, all, all helps to align incentives, right? And align yeah. uh, the workforce. Yeah. What's, um, what's something that excites of the things you're working on today? What's the thing that gets you most excited that you're like, finally, I get to spend some time thinking about or doing X.
1: What is that for you? For me, the, the new role, it gives me the chance to go back to a pure channels play where I don't deal directly with end users. Um, so I'm dealing with distributors and bar channels, and that's an ecosystem I've known for 30 years. So that's exciting. And it's also giving me the chance to, frankly, take a company that is in the North American market space and help them with the UK and the continental Europe expansion. So that's, to me, very exciting you know, because I know what's there and I know some of the pitfalls of those markets, but I also know the upside and the opportunity.
0: You going back to the uh, Marriott at Heathrow and Berlin
1: stops? Ho- hopefully not with as much regularity, but it would not break my heart to go back to those places. <laughs> Very
0: cool. um, as we're wrapping up here, you know, any last thoughts that you want to share with our audience or pieces of adv- advice that you want to leave them?
1: Don't overestimate where the business is gonna go. Don't lie to yourself as an owner. That's one thing that I've done. I've watched clients do it and it always gets you in trouble. If you think you're gonna grow at 15% and the market's growing at five, really understand why you think that. Don't just think that because you want to what we talked about earlier, to upgrade the house, to add more staff, right? Don't, Don't starve yourself of staff, right? Know when you need to add them but don't add them too soon is the other piece. That's good. Good wisdom.
0: Uh, Where's the best place for our users to be able to connect with you, Tim?
1: So everything I do, you can find me at timkubiak.com or on LinkedIn as Tim Kubiak. I've got the same glasses on and a bow tie. You're watching this on video, so you can't miss me. And I'm happy. I respond to all my own messages. I don't have anyone else do it. So sometimes I'm a little slow. So apologies in advance if you do that. But I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has.
0: We appreciate it. Thanks for the time today, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps towards your financial success.